The unseen realm is that spiritual realm where God and his angels are active. It is also the place where Satan and his fallen angels, the demons, are active as well. Every once in a while, God pulls back the curtain to let us see what is going on behind the veil, what is going on in the unseen realm. My uncle had an experience like that when he was a young boy, an early teenager. He was born to parents in Germany, and after all the kids were born, they went to China. And they went to serve with Hudson Taylor's mission agency, the China Inland Mission. And then when World War II came along, they got together as a, a group of missionaries in the little compound where they were serving and decided to keep serving. And then when the Japanese began to occupy China, they decided it was time to leave. Now, they were inland, right? That was the type of missions movement in that era. And, and so they knew that if they were going to get to the coast and take a, a boat, to leave China, they would have to cross the mountains on the way. They would have to walk. And so they prayed about it as a group. They decided to go. They knew that the, the mountains were fraught with danger because they were filled with highwaymen, robbers, bandits, who knew that the only way to travel was over the mountains. And so they decided to go for it to go ahead and leave. So they left, and of course, all of their Chinese servants and workers left with them. It was quite, quite a group, quite a gathering that, that left. One day, as they were heading up to a mountain pass, single file on a narrow path, they were accosted by bandits. And those bandits took every valuable item that they were carrying. My uncle had poor eyesight, and they took his glasses. His father was carrying a little suitcase filled with cash. He had gone to the bank before they left and taken out all the money from the, for the missions agency because that bank was going to close permanently. So he was carrying that little suitcase, and they took that from him. They took every item of personal value and every item of value to them. Then they took two other males who were all missionaries, and they took them into the woods. Now, the wives and these missionaries, because that was pretty much their M.O. That was how much, how uh, these bandits in the mountains operated. They were pretty bloodthirsty, pretty cutthroat. They weren't just in it for the valuables. Well, it wasn't long before these three men came right back to the group that had gathered there on the path. About it, they said, well, we don't know what happened. These guys just took off. So the group continued on to a nearby town. And one of their cooks, Chinese, was going around looking for blankets for the group, and he saw the leader of the bandits. He went up to him, boldly, of course, asking for blankets, and he also said, what happened in the woods? We were sure you guys were going to dispose of those missionaries. 
the leader of the bandits got wide-eyed, and he said, we were going to shoot them and just leave them be before we moved on. But this army, all dressed in white, showed up, all on white horses. We got out of there as fast as we could. That, my friends, is the unseen realm. God pulled back the curtain on the unseen realm to protect his men of God on their mission at that point. That was his choice. And they were protected by an army of angels. Doesn't it remind you of the story of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6? His servant goes out and he sees this army surrounding pretty much just Elisha. They had been raiding into Israel, but Elisha kept giving them a heads up. So they decided to send the army after Elisha. The servant goes out and he says, Elisha, we are dead meat. These guys have come for us and they are huge. You remember what Elisha said? He said, greater are them that are with us than those that are with them. He prayed, and he asked the Lord to give his servant eyes to see. And when his eyes were opened by faith, this servant saw the angel armies that prevented the army, the enemy, from taking any action. In fact, they were completely subdued and led into the city by Elisha. That was another instance where the curtain was pulled back on the unseen realm. You can think of other times, right? How about the birth of Jesus Christ? The angels break through in the heavens with great praise and glory and announce to the shepherds the birth. And there's the baptism of Jesus. The Father's voice breaks through from heaven. The transfiguration of Jesus. And how about the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus? He and his group of men are just moseying along, and all of a sudden the Lord breaks through and confronts him. The men drop down, and Paul is turned from the greatest persecutor of the church to the greatest preacher of the gospel. Scripture is full of times when God pulls back the curtain and lets us see what is going on in the unseen realm. And we have that privilege today in Daniel chapter 10. If you want to turn to that passage with me, Daniel chapter 10 has an incident where God pulls back the curtain and informs Daniel, as well as us, because we study scripture, what was going on behind the scenes in this final vision, this fourth vision that was given to Daniel. This fourth vision takes up chapters 10, 11, and 12. And there are realities that we need to see and accept and hear because they will change our perspective on life and our practices in walking with Jesus. So we're going to look at three different ideas here that are presented in the passage. The first one in verses 1 through 9 is that the unseen realm is ruled by the king of kings. Jesus Christ is sovereign and majestic and above all else, not only in our world, in the universe, but in the unseen realm. 
So in this, in this section, Daniel is, is going to provide for us the setting. He's going to give us a quick summary of the vision. And then he's going to reveal that he actually saw the pre-incarnate Christ, the Lord Jesus himself, the Son of God. Daniel had been mourning and praying and fasting for three weeks. We're told in, in verses 1 and 2, the, the year is 536 B.C. And so here's what has happened in the previous three years. In 538, the first return of the Jews from Babylon to Jerusalem had taken place under Zerubbabel. And then in 537, they had reinstituted the sacrifices. In 536, they had begun to rebuild the temple. It could be that Daniel is in mourning and in prayer because of the plight of these Jews who have returned. They are facing lots of opposition from the enemies that surround them in whatever they attempt to do. Then there are the old timers who have either come back with them or are still in Jerusalem that weren't deported in the, in the exile that are saying, you know, that temple you're building is never going to compare to Solomon's temple. We learn those things through Ezra chapter 3. We looked at that last summer in our study of the book of Ezra. So Daniel could be in mourning and in prayer for that reason. We're not told exactly why he is in prayer and why he is in mourning. But I think that's a pretty good summary of what is going on. So let's read his summary in, in chapter 10, verse 1 of the vision. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. So in this vision, he's not going to need an angel to come and explain it like he did in the visions in chapter 8 and chapter 9. He understands the vision, and what he gets out of it is that this is a great conflict. He understands the significance of the vision. What's going to take place here is that there is going to be extreme suffering for the Jewish people. Great opposition to them. And that's very sad. The explanation of the, the vision is going to come later in chapter 11. Let me show you how chapters 10, 11, and 12 line up. In, in 10, 1 through or 11, 1, we actually have just the introduction to the vision, kind of a prologue, if you will. And then in 11, 2 through 11, 35, we have first half of the vision. It, it deals with the suffering of the Jews up to Antiochus Epiphanes. We've seen that before, right? And then in verses 11, 36 to 12, 4, we have the second part of the vision. It deals with that 70th week and the suffering of the Jews in the tribulation under the Antichrist. And then in 12, 5 to 13, we have the conclusion or a wrap-up of the vision. So that is how these chapters break down in this final vision. The immediate future with Antiochus, the distant future with the Antichrist. And here's what's going on. On the heels of all this excitement about the Jews returning to Jerusalem, Daniel is giving this very 
foreboding message of a dark future for them. In other words, they're not going to get to enjoy this freedom and the peace that they have by going back to Jerusalem for very long. Theirs will be a continued record of suffering, as we'll see when we get into the visions the next couple of weeks. Well, on the 24th day of Nisan, that month, Daniel is standing on the banks of the Tigris River. He's there with a group of men, and, and the Lord gives him a vision that is for him alone. The other men don't see it, but once they see Daniel's reaction, then they, they flee. They run and hide, we're told in chapter 10. But it's a vision that will ultimately give Daniel courage and strength. Let's read verses 5 and 6. Daniel says, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Euphaz. His body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. What an incredible description of this person that Daniel sees. He sees the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus himself, the Son of God. How do we know that? Well, one way we can do it is just to compare Scripture. We can compare him with the angel later in the chapter, but first we'll just compare him with Scripture. If we go over to Revelation chapter 1, we get this description in verses 12 to 16 of Jesus Christ given by the apostle John. I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to his feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. It compares very favorably, doesn't it? In, John, in Revelation 1, we're told immediately that this is Jesus Christ. It compares with the vision that Ezekiel is given in chapter 1 of his book, very similar and so we can say with all confidence that Daniel is looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at those elements. It's just incredible. Linen, that was a, a special garment that was typically worn just by the priests. Beryl, it's a, a beautiful stone that is used throughout Scripture in multiple descriptions to talk about the splendor or the majesty of something that it is describing. We see other elements. The eyes and the face are so radiant that it's like lightning that, that never fades away. It just remains. There is a radiance there. In this vision, Daniel gets a view of the glory and the majesty, the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And that's an incredible vision for him to see. He's in awe of this vision of the Lord, who is strong and powerful and authoritative. He is brilliant and nothing can touch him. And then in verses 7 through 9, we see that Daniel is overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord. The color drains from Daniel's face and he loses consciousness. This is at the point when the group of men who are with him decide, you know, it's time to leave. We don't know what's going on, but 
this is kind of scary. And I'm sure there's a sense of the supernatural. They don't see the Lord, but they see Daniel's reaction. Well, Daniel is given a glorious vision of the Son of God himself. His entire person was like a transparent jewel, which projected the glory and the power and the authority and the sovereignty and the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that alone would elevate the importance of this vision for Daniel. But I think there's something else going on there. I think there's more than just elevating the vision for Daniel. I think that this vision that Daniel is given is to calm him, to give him confidence as he goes forward and, and, and thinks about the rest of the vision and everything that's going to happen and transpire to the nation of Israel. These are dark days. There's going to be heavy persecution. There's going to be extended suffering for the nation of Israel. This is not the glory of the Davidic kingdom come back to be. That's not going to happen until Jesus comes and crushes all evil and sets up his kingdom and Israel is regathered. So God gives Daniel a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ to start things. He and we need that kind of solace, that kind of reminder, that kind of confidence that he is in charge, that he rules the unseen realm. Despite everything else that Daniel will see and hear, there is nothing and no one as great as him. I like the fact that this is a living vision which answers the question of Roman 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us. And this is Jesus Christ presented in all his glory. Even as he'll look when he returns as the Son of Man, the prophecy in Daniel 7, 13. Seeing Jesus settles us down. Think about our circumstances. Coronavirus, chaos in the streets, coming election in nine weeks. We're just boiling over with anxiety and tension and stress relationships that are showing that. It makes a big difference for us to see Jesus, to treasure Jesus, to focus on Jesus, to let him know how much we need him and to depend upon him. And to be reminded that regardless of everything else that is going on in our lives, no matter what the circumstances are, that he stands in all his majesty his power and his authority, that he is in control, not only of what we can see, but everything that we cannot see. And we are able to trust him with that kind of faith. Then he begins to give us peace through the power of his presence and restore our joy. Makes a big difference if our focus is on the living God, because behind the veil, he is working. He is in control. He's working for your good and for his glory. And Daniel gives us the vision that he saw of Jesus Christ to remind us that Jesus rules in the unseen realm. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, the next thing we see in the, the next few verses, 10 through 14, and then later in 20 and 21, is that the unseen realm is filled with spiritual warfare. That's the place of spiritual warfare that we do not get to see. God's pulled back the curtain for Daniel and giving him the opportunity to see the Lord. And now he sends an angel 
to Daniel, most likely Gabriel, who will give both comfort to Daniel and explain more about the unseen realm and what takes place there. Gabriel instructs Daniel to stand. He's regained consciousness now by the touch of the angel. He kind of stands a, a little wobbly, a little weak-kneed like a newborn calf, and he listens to what Gabriel has to say. First thing that Gabriel says is that God dispatched me as soon as you began to pray. Now, just a side note, but isn't that a great thing that God hears our prayers, that he takes action as soon as he hears them? We see that throughout Scripture, but that's a sidebar. Coming back to Daniel, we're told that Gabriel was dispatched as soon as he began to pray. And so one of the first questions that I'm sure came to Daniel, as it does for us, is why the delay? We're told that Daniel mourned and prayed and fasted for three weeks. Why the delay? What was going on that would prevent you from coming immediately? Well, the answer is there's a hostile power that intercepted the angel and caused the delay. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. Then the angel said to Daniel, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. Verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. A hostile power has intercepted the agent, the messenger, the angel of God, and has delayed the response to Daniel's prayer. Now, that's mind-blowing, isn't it? God has pulled back the curtain on the unseen realm, and, and if you're like me, most of us just tend to think that everything up there is perfectly fine because God is in control, right? We can't imagine that there could be forces, holy and evil, good and bad, at war with each other. But that's what we read here. The prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. He delayed the response to Daniel. What does that mean for our prayer lives? Well, we often say there's three answers to prayer, right? There's yes, and there's no, and there's a wait. And we like to dress up the wait with, well, you know, it's just not God's timing yet. Have you ever considered that the wait might be a delay because of the spiritual warfare that is taking place? I wonder what would have happened if Daniel had not persevered in prayer for three weeks. Well, the angel continues in verse 14. He goes on to tell Daniel that I've come to give you an understanding of what's going to happen in the latter days. So he's going to talk about this time from uh, Antiochus and then the time of the Antichrist, and, and we've seen that already. The picture for Israel is bleak. But back to the hostile power of verse 13. He is a demon serving Satan. We know that the prince of Persia is not a man because no man could stop an angel of God. We know that he is one of Satan's angels, fallen angels, because he is opposed to God and to his purposes. 
his mission as prince of Persia was to influence the king of Persia in a way that would oppose God's system, God's purposes, God's work in this world. Before coming to Daniel, the angel, likely Gabriel again, was able to regain influence with the king of Persia. He fought with this prince, this demon of Persia. He, he took away the, the influence that this fallen angel had had and regained it, took it for himself. And then in verses 20 and 21, we read later, he's going to tell Daniel after this conversation that he's got to return and he's got to fight the demons that are trying to influence the kings of Persia and of Greece. This is an ongoing spiritual warfare. The spiritual warfare in the unseen realm is real. Note the point of this spiritual warfare. Satan and his demons are seeking to destroy God's plan. They are seeking to destroy the people of Israel, God's chosen people. While Gabriel and Michael and the other angels of God are protecting the interests of Israel. Gabriel fought alone when he needed help. Michael came and supported him in the fights. The spiritual warfare directly influenced the well-being of the Israelites from Persia to Jerusalem. If we could see the invisible, the unseen realm, we would be amazed at what takes place behind the scene behind the veil as the forces of good and evil are all around us. One thing that we learn is the earthly events correspond to angelic activity. Behind the movement of men and nations, unseen forces are at work. And this chapter gives us a glimpse into that, as we've just seen, as we've heard from the angel Gabriel. If you're like me, I, I always want to try and trace the money and the power and, and the, the big picture planning to a Robert Ludlum novel, you know, or George Soros or Bill Gates. But this passage is telling us that there are demons that are there seeking to influence the movements of men and nations, seeking to influence the leaders of nations, and that God's angels are at work in the same way. Where is God in all of this? Well, for whatever reason, he allows the demons, limited powers of destruction and rebellion. We see it most clearly in the book of Job, right? Satan came to God and asked him for permission to tempt Job, to show that Job was not the righteous man he held himself out to be. And God gave him uh, a limited amount of evil. He said, you can do what you want, just don't destroy him. Don't take his life. God sets limits. He can squelch the evil anytime he wishes, anytime he desires, because of his sovereign power, his authority, his majesty. But for reasons unknown to us, he allows it play. We also see that God's angels are able to delay and destroy the plans of Satan's fallen angels. They are able to overcome Satan's angels. Well, there's personal application in all of this, because not only do Satan and his angels try to thwart 
the purposes of God in nations. They also try to thwart his purposes that work out in our lives personally. This kind of passage in the Old Testament really makes Ephesians 6 come alive, doesn't it? When Paul tells us to put on the armor of God. He starts that passage by saying this in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. It might help to picture Satan's arrangement of his demons as a military. Princes, powers, world forces spread out around the world against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul in Ephesians 6 is giving us a warning as to what is going on in the unseen realm and how we are to walk with our Lord in the midst of that. We can only do it in his strength. We can only do it by putting on the full armor of God. He gives us a new perspective. Well, we have no cause to live in fear or anxiety. Obviously, when you hear about these powerful forces that are opposed to God and opposed to you in the unseen realm, it can cause a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of tension. But we stand in the strength of our Lord and of his resources. He will not allow anything to come against us. He won't even allow any temptation that is greater than we can stand without giving us a way out, without supplying his strength, without being the source of our strength in every moment of every day. And that's why we must treasure Jesus. That's why we must depend upon him. That's why we must trust him moment by moment. Well, Gabriel has revealed spiritual warfare in the unseen realm. And now in verses 15 to 19, Daniel is basically going to point out again through the, the ministry of the angel Gabriel that the unseen realm is not to be feared. This is not to be feared. We don't need to live in fear and anxiety. We acknowledge that the powers of Satan and his demons are greater than us. And like Daniel, we can say, as he does throughout this passage, I am too weak to absorb all of this, to handle this matter. Does that mean we should live in fear? No. We carry on. The truth is that we fight, live, and walk in this world in the strength of our Lord. That was the exhortation that Paul gave us. That was the command that he gave us. The chief weapons of our spiritual warfare are humility and prayer, knowledge and perseverance. Since we cannot see the angels and the demons, we don't need to worry about what they are doing. Our part is to walk humbly with our Lord and to put on the full armor of God. Our part is to spend time in prayer with our Lord to grow in knowledge from the word of God and to persevere in faithfulness, no matter how tough times are. So in humility, we put on the armor of God. In prayer, we need to wrestle to the point of exhaustion. More than once, we are given in the book of Daniel that Daniel prayed. And quite often, his prayers were exhausting when he prayed. 
He was willing to persevere in prayer and not just fire off an arrow prayer every time he made contact with God. He was willing to go in depth. He was willing to adore God and fight spiritual warfare just with praise. He was willing to confess his sins and be open to God so that he wouldn't be tempted by the spiritual warfare. He was willing to draw on God's strength and power to ask of God. Remember that though we don't see the unseen realm, God's angels minister to us. We see that throughout Scripture. Psalm 103 is clear. Hebrews 1 is clear that God's angels are sent as ministering spirits to us. We see it throughout Scripture, right? With Elijah, with Jesus. They are sent as God's servants to serve us. That is their ministry. And as we saw with my uncle in China, as we saw with Persia, with the Israelites, these angels are willing to fight for us behind the scenes in the unseen realm. Notice the words of the angel to Daniel in verse 19. They are words we need to hear for daily living, per persevering in the walk with Jesus Christ. Gabriel says, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. This message is as much for us as it is for Daniel. That we are to know the peace of God through the power of his presence. What were Jesus' words every time he met with the disciples in times of high pressure and tension and anxiety? Peace. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. When he saw them after the resurrection, he entered them behind a locked door. They were hidden from the world because they were scared to death. And so he enters, and his first words are peace. That's how he wants us to live. Unseen realm or not, he wants us to know his peace, to walk with him. To never forget that never, that not only is he never going to forsake us or leave us, but that he is with us. That through the power of his presence, we can experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. He tells us in Philippians 4 that he guards our thoughts and our emotions, our minds and our hearts. Peace is the message of the angel to Daniel, the message that we need to hear. Take courage, be strong and courageous. Who heard that more than Joshua? As he was replacing Moses, as he was leading the Israelites into the promised land, he knew he was God's man. He knew he was a general. He was very qualified and skilled, and yet he had to be reminded time and again, be strong and courageous. He was given a hint as to how that could happen. Meditate on the law of God. Meditate on God's word. Know that I am present with you. Know that my power and authority and strength and majesty goes with you. That's the same message that Jesus gives to us as we look at his word today. So if you're under attack from the enemy, never give up. If you feel like quitting, don't give up. Be courageous, persevere. 
If you've got a relationship that's extremely difficult, don't give up. Dealing with temptation to sin, don't give up. Persevere, take courage. For the Lord is with you. And there are angels that are ministering to you and fighting for you in ways that we don't know. There is no fear for a believer. We know that Satan was judged at the cross. Those are the words of Jesus. That his ultimate destruction, his doom is certain. And even though he is given reign right now to oppose Christ and to oppose the purposes of Christ in us, he is a defeated enemy. And so we need not live in fear. If we put our trust in Jesus for the practical realities of life, we'll experience his power. We don't have to worry about what's going on in the unseen realm. It's fascinating to know that these things are taking place behind the curtain. But it's even better to know that God is for us, that his angels are fighting for us, that they are serving us, that Jesus walks with us. And I want to close with that great promise that we're given by the Apostle John in 1 John 4, 4. He says this, Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. That's our confidence. That's our comfort. When we need to take courage, just remember that Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is in you. And even in that passage, John refers to the spirit of the Antichrist in this world within which we live. We're always going to be opposed. But we don't face that on our own. We face that in the power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this fascinating chapter. A chapter we don't give much thought to. Uh, a realm in which we have no place. But you rule supreme. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And we thank you, Lord, that as your